God uses compelling circumstances throughout our life cycle. And he uses every one of them to help us come to the place of acknowledging that we need God. And once we understand that and walk in it, our purpose can become more clear. Guest speaker, Reverend Leroy Armstrong, has a message entitled, A Pleasing Walk of Faith. Follow along in Genesis 5, verses 21 through 24, and Hebrews 11, verse 5. What does it take to please God? Oh, I hear you. I know this is Amity Bible Church. That means y'all are in the Word. If nothing else is true, Amity, that means there's a high value on the Word of God at Amity Bible Church. I hear you, I hear you. You, you, you're thinking, what does it take to please God? Well, some people have erroneously assumed that they could please God by their good works. But you hear the words coming from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 that remind us, for by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. There is no amount of good works you can amass, no amount of good works that you can pile up that will eventually cause you to be received by God. It just ain't gonna happen. Some other people have assumed that if I if I just sacrifice enough, if I give enough sacrifices, not what I do, but what I give, if I give enough sacrifices, if I give money to good causes and give enough of it, maybe God will be pleased with me then. But the psalmist declared in Psalm 51 that God has no delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices. There are others who have thought that the earnest, passionate pursuit of religion surely ought to be enough for God to favor me. But the Bible declares that there in Romans 3 and 20, there is no person who is declared right with God because he or she is religious. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 10, Paul said about his own people, the Jewish people, I love the Jewish people, that Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. Religious zeal is not enough for God to say, I'm pleased. You can cut yourself, you can sacrifice your life as a martyr, and it's not enough to gain the pleasure of God. And the list could go on. There are some folk who say, well, look, my mama and my daddy and my grandparents, they love God, so that ought to be enough for me to get in. No, 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 God only has children, sons and daughters, no grandchildren spiritually got to have a walk of your own, a relationship of your own in order for him to embrace you. Yes. You see, by all these and many other acts 
of service people have attempted to please God, but they're all insufficient. Because I'm at Amity, I know I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but if we were to read just one verse later in Hebrews chapter number 11, only in the verse number 6, it just makes it real plain, as plain as plain can be, and it is impossible. Somebody say impossible. It is impossible to please God without faith. Not improbable, not highly unlikely, but it is absolutely, definitively impossible to please God without faith. Now, in this text that we just read in Genesis chapter number five, if you were paying attention, you notice that the text used the word walked, that Enoch walked with God. And, and it's mentioned twice in verse number 22 and verse number 24. The Bible says after he became the father of Methuselah that Enoch walked faithfully with God. Verse number 24, it says it again, that Enoch walked faithfully with God. I love the New Living Translation. Hopefully you figured out by now that it's a wise thing in your Bible reading and Bible study to use multiple translations and be grateful that in the English language we've got multiple translations to choose from. I, I love the NIV, excuse me, the New Living Translation. It puts it like this in verse 22 of Genesis 5, that Enoch lived in close fellowship with God. And that's that word walk. That's what it means. It means an intimate relationship. It means close fellowship. It's not a casual acquaintance. It's an intimate, closely developed relationship with God. It says it again in verse number 24. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you, Amity, today is that Enoch was not a stranger to God. Enoch was not somebody who was vaguely acquainted with God. As a matter of fact, Enoch would be classified as somebody who was on a first-hand relationship basis with, you, with God. You know, some of us would love to say that we know Vice President Kamala Harris. You know her name. But how many of you could actually say you know her? How many of you could actually say you know President Biden? You know the name. But in terms of intimate relationship, there is none. And listen to me, my friends. There are some people that that's how they try to treat God. That if I just know his name, that ought to be enough. If I'm just acquainted, I, I, I've heard of God. I've heard of him. I know who God is. I, yeah, I've heard of him. My grandmama used to talk about him all the time. My, my daddy and mama talk about him. I know who he is. But Enoch wants us to hear today that this, this matter of knowing God is more than head knowledge. It's about an intimate relationship with him. And so I've got to ask you a second question today. 
If you were indicted, you know, the House Select Committee is doing some incredible work revealing the truth of the matter. And, 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 and there probably are some indictments coming. If you and I were indicted on the charge of living or walking by faith, after they finished examining your life and scouring every detail of your life, my question is, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would you go scot-free? Because there wasn't enough evidence. <laughs> well, my friends, today Enoch wants to help us. Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to put these two verses together that we've read. In Genesis chapter number 5, we see that Enoch walked faithfully with God. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see that Enoch pleased God. When you put the two of them together, you get the sermon in a sentence for today. If you check out on me after this, make sure you get this. The sermon in a sentence is this, that a faith that pleases God is a faith that walks with God in the present tense. I want you to say that with me. Is that on the screen? Can, can that go back up there on the screen if it can? If not, just say it after me. A faith that pleases God is a faith that walks with God in the present tense. Now, you can go to sleep if you want to. But if you don't go to sleep, you're about to learn what it looks like to have a pleasing walk of faith in the present tense. Enoch teaches us several things. We go back to Genesis chapter 5, a pleasing walk of faith. I want you to get this. If you're taking notes, they're going to put it on the screen. And it's going to stay there long enough for you to take a picture of it or whatever you want to do, write the notes down because it is a mouthful. But I want you to get it. You see, a pleasing walk of faith we learn from the life of Enoch, first of all, responds appropriately to compelling life cycle circumstances. It's a mouthful. I get it. But it's a necessary mouthful. What does a pleasing walk of faith, what's the DNA, what, what's the character of a pleasing walk of faith? It's a walk that responds appropriately to compelling life cycle circumstances. Preacher, you better unpack that for me. <laughs> I sure will. Be glad to. Back to Genesis chapter 5, verse number 22. It's right in your Bible. Don't read your Bible too fast. You might miss something. Listen to what it says. Listen to what it says. What, what, listen to this compelling life cycle circumstance. After Enoch gave birth to Methuselah. After Enoch became the father of Methuselah. After. 
this compelling life cycle circumstance, then Enoch walked faithfully with God. Now, the reason why I started reading the verse number 18, because if you go back up to Genesis chapter 5, verse number 1, and just read from there, you get the same pattern that we saw with Jared. Mentioned over and over and over and over and over and over again. That so-and-so was born, and he lived so many years, and then he became the father of so-and-so. And after that, he lived another some some years, and he had other sons and daughters, and then he died. And it's repeated over and over and over again. But then standing out in the midst of this boring uh, Genealogy is an exemplar that we must pay attention to. Unlike the rest of them, when Enoch encountered his compelling life cycle circumstance, something changed for Brother Enoch. See, for Enoch, it was the compelling circumstance of the birth of a child. How many of y'all remember Remember, as parents, the, the birth of your first child? How many remember? You're watching online. How many remember the birth of your first child? Can I take you back to June 5, 1992, Baylor Hospital in downtown Dallas? I was there. I didn't, I didn't give birth, but I was there. And I was there, I was watching, I was giving orders to the medical professionals like I knew what I was doing. I, I was there watching as my beautiful baby girl came out of her mother's womb, out of the oven, into the world. I was there. And, and, and I was jumping up and down and shouting. And then something happened. You see, prior to then, for the nine months that her mother carried her, the good old mothers at the church where I was serving, Concord Baptist Church, the good old godly wise mothers kept telling me, baby, your life is about to change. I was young and stupid, and I kept saying, no, it ain't. We're just going to have a baby and keep on rolling. <laughs> baby, your life is about to change. I can see Mother Norris right now in my mind's eye. She's in heaven in the presence of Jesus. She kept saying to me, so she called me, she goes, son, your life is about to change. Because she could see that I was, you know, I'm a high D personality man. I was moving around, I was doing all kinds of stuff. And she just kept telling me, son, your life is about to change. And sure enough, on June 5, 1992, when my daughter came out of her mother's womb. My initial response was this incredible excitement that I'm now a daddy. And not too long after that was a heavy weight that settled in. Oh my God, I'm responsible for an entire person. I'm responsible for this life and it's on me to take care of her. God, help. You see, for Enoch, he recognized that the birth of Methuselah meant that he needed divine help. For me, that, that compelling life cycle circumstance of the birth of my daughter helped me to understand that I needed help, that I needed God like I had never needed him before. Can anybody relate? 
Listen to me, my friends. What I'm trying to say to you is that God uses compelling circumstances throughout our life cycle. And he uses every one of them to help us come to the place of acknowledging that we need God. And the compelling life cycle circumstances of many, for Enoch, it was the birth of a child. How many of you remember the morning after the first day when you got married, you on your honeymoon, and the first night of your honeymoon, you woke up the next morning, turned over, looked in the bed, and said, oh, God, help. <laughs> Marriage will do that to you. <laughs> It's a compelling life cycle circumstance. Listen, the list is long. Anybody ever experienced the death of a child? I've, I've unfortunately experienced the death of two children to miscarriages. And it's a painful experience like no other I've ever had in my life. And it's a compelling life cycle circumstance. The death of a parent. When you lose your mama, you lose your daddy. The death of a sibling who you love so much. Compelling circumstances. The death of a spouse. The list is long. When your 30, 40 year life partner has departed, it's a compelling life cycle circumstance if you lose a marriage to divorce the death of a marriage is a compelling life cycle circumstance if you lose a job it's a compelling life cycle circumstance if your business goes under in spite of your best efforts it's a compelling life cycle circumstance financial trouble and sure enough don't get in trouble with the IRS it's a compelling life cycle circumstance. What I'm saying to you is that with every one of them, with every one of them that we encounter over and over and over and over throughout our life cycle, God, like he did with Enoch, is trying to help us come to the place of acknowledging that we need him. When you get to that place and you acknowledge that you need him, it could be a young person who fails a class in school. It, it could be a single adult who you thought this relationship would end at the wedding altar, but it didn't. It, it, the list is long. I'm telling you, a car wreck that you get in and you walk away from it alive. It, there are compelling life cycle circumstances. Dare I say that the last two plus years that you and I have lived through this pandemic has been a huge, compelling life cycle circumstance that God is using to help us know and be reminded that we need him. You're not going to make it without him. And the only way you're going to have a relationship with him is you've got to walk with God by faith. You've got to trust him. Faith is relying on God. You came in and sat on those seats in this place, and you didn't check it. I kept glancing at some of y'all coming in, and I didn't see now one of you check the seat to make sure that it was strong enough to hold you. You just came in and put all your weight on it because you trust in the chair to hold you. 
you. And God says, that's what I want you to do with me. I need to, you to put all of your weight on me. Stop relying on yourself because you can't do it anyhow. And rely on me. That means you got to get close to him. You got to draw close to him. You, you, you got to cultivate a walk with him like Enoch did. And listen. I just want to ask you what compelling life cycle circumstances has God been allowing in your life right now? What present compelling circumstance has God been allowing right now that maybe you're not responding appropriately to? Because as sure as there is an appropriate response, there is also an inappropriate response. You see, an inappropriate response is for you, rather than drawing closer to God in a sweet, intimate walk of faith, an inappropriate response is for you to turn away from God. And there are many who choose to do that because you are misinterpreting what God has allowed. You have misinterpreted the death of your marriage. You have misinterpreted the loss of your business. You have misinterpreted the compelling life cycle circumstances to mean that God is angry with you when what God was doing is smiling because he's trying to help you to see that when you pull close to him and you walk with him, whatever you've lost is pales in comparison to what else he has for you if you will trust him by faith. What I'm trying to say is that God uses these compelling circumstances over and over and over again. Initially, he wants to use them to draw us into a relationship with him where you come to that place like I did 44 years ago this month of July in 1978 when at a college campus dormitory, I fell on my face and said, God, I need you in my life. And I embraced Jesus as my Savior and trusted in what God declared that Jesus did for me when he died in my place and for my sins. God uses them. But you do have another option. And that option is to respond inappropriately, much like the professor who I had when I entered seminary a few decades ago. (laughs) There was my first seminary class in Kansas City, Missouri, and The Old Testament professor had two PhDs, and I just knew I was about to learn all that I could possibly learn about the Old Testament from this scholarly, educated professor. And I learned a little bit about the Old Testament from him. I did. But I learned a lot more from what I observed in his life when he experienced a compelling life cycle circumstance. He lost his son 20 years of age in a car wreck. Tragic car wreck. Son died. There's no parent that wants to bury their children. Every one of us as parents expected our kids will bury us, not that we will bury them. And he had to bury his son, 20 years of age, who died in a tragic car wreck. And this man with two PhDs, the only way he could reconcile what happened to him was to conclude that God didn't love him. And he walked away from God, became almost atheist because he could not accept 
that a loving God would allow his son to die in a car wreck. Listen to me. If a man with two PhDs who had studied the Bible backwards and forwards could respond inappropriately, so can we. With every compelling life cycle circumstance that God allows, he is simply saying to you, come closer, my child. I love you. It may be hard. It may be hurting. Come closer to me. Walk with me. Come closer to me. Stop relying on yourself. Rely on me. Draw closer to me. Get to know me. And if you do, I will see you through. And I'll turn what has happened in your life that you're not happy about. I'll turn it into joy. Because joy goes much deeper than any level of surface happiness. Joy on the inside means that I can shout and rejoice in the presence and the goodness of God even when good things are not happening around me. And God wants every one of us to get to that place where we don't treat him as a cosmic bellhop that we just go to God to get goodies from him. But God wants us to walk with him through the good and the bad, through the ups and the downs, through the pleasant and the unpleasant, through the thick and the thin, through that which brings us smiles and that which brings us frowns. Because there's no better walk than to walk with God and a pleasing walk of faith. You see, Enoch teaches us that, that, that a pleasing walk of faith responds appropriately to compelling life cycle circumstances. Listen, there's something else that we get just by hanging around in here. Did you see that in Genesis 5, the Bible says that Enoch lived 65 years, then he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, he walked with God for 300 years. He lived a total of 365 years. Watch this. God forgot about the 65 years when he didn't walk with him. And God honored Enoch for what happened after he started walking with God. And he honored Enoch to the point of putting him in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 so that you and I can learn from his experience. All I'm trying to say to you is that God ain't going to keep reminding you of what happened in the days before you made up your mind to walk with him. God will honor you. God will reward you for what happens after you come to your senses and say, God, I've got to start walking with you today. And today I'm going to put a marker in the sand and I'm going to make up my mind that I'm not going to talk faith. I'm going to walk faith. I'm not going to act like I'm faithful. I'm going to be faith filled. So let me run on here. Let me run on. Enoch teaches us that a pleasing walk of faith responds appropriately to compelling life cycle circumstances. But then Enoch teaches us, secondly, that a pleasing walk of faith resolves to walk by faith for the long haul. Come on, think about it now. 300 years. That is a long time, y'all. A long time, 300 years. We, we just celebrated the 200, I'm going to do my math right, 246 year of the United States existed. 
246 years this country has been in existence is not quite 250 yet. Enoch walked with God for 300 years. It's the long haul. It's the long look. It was a long obedience in the same direction. Why? Because Enoch made up his mind. And every one of us have to come to that place where you make up your mind. And somebody here today watching online, you need to make up your mind. You need to stop fooling yourself, stop fooling God, and make up your mind that today I'm going to start walking with God by faith. See, 300 years is a long time, long time, and you don't get 300 years because you just happen into it. No, you got to make up your mind the way Daniel made up his mind in Daniel chapter 1, verse number 8 and 9, when he made up his mind that he wouldn't be defiled with the king's food. You got to make up your mind. And I'm going to walk with God. For me, it happened about a year and a half into my journey with Jesus. First year and a half after becoming a believer, I didn't walk with God. I was on the college campus, and I'm grateful for Cedric Rowan introducing me to Jesus. Grateful for him. For the first year and a half of my Christian journey, I kept on living like I had been a sinner. The difference was I couldn't enjoy my sinful lifestyle the same way I had enjoyed it prior to July 1978 because something had changed. What had changed is that I now have become a believer in Jesus Christ. When I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, God changed me. He saved me. He indwelt me with Holy Spirit. And while I was living an unholy life, Holy Spirit was grieved. Anybody been there? And, and after a year and a half, I fell on a cold dormitory floor, concrete floor, in my second year, second semester of college. And I cried out to God, and I said, God, I don't know what you want. I don't. I don't know what you want. All I know is that I am absolutely miserable right now. But if you will show me what you want, I'll give it to you. Because how many of you have lived long enough and been there, done that, to understand that the most miserable person on the earth is the Christian living habitually in sin? You see, the sinner can sin, and he or she has no conviction that is constant because they are sinners under the wrath of God and under the dominion of the devil. But as soon as you get saved and Holy Spirit indwells your life, you have been purchased with a price, the blood of Jesus, and you can't live the same way and get away with it for long because Holy Spirit will go to work on you on the inside. And while you can't describe it fully, the Bible says it's conviction because Holy Spirit's job is to help us live holy. On that cold dormitory floor, I cried out to God and said, God, I don't know what you want, but if you'll show me, I'll give it to you. And it was the beginning of me learning that God wanted an intimate relationship by faith. 
And I've had, I don't have the time, I could keep you here all day to tell you about the compelling life cycle circumstances that I've had since then, every one of them designed to encourage me to have a closer walk with God, every single one of them. But I had to make up my mind. And that's what you've got to do today. You've got to make up your mind. You've got to resolve that you're going to walk with God for the long haul. But then you know what? I can't leave you there because I would, I would, I would have you thinking that I'm some super saint when I'm not. <laughs> because here's what I've learned over 44 years. Here's what I've learned, that a pleasing walk of faith, sure enough, responds appropriately to the compelling life cycle circumstances. Sure enough, a pleasing walk of faith resolves to walk by faith for the long haul. But a pleasing walk of faith, don't miss this one, renews that walk each day. You got to renew it every single day. Every single day. When you wake up in the morning, you got to make a fresh declaration that God today, I know I made my resolve back yonder that I'm going to walk with you by faith. But there have been some things between then and now. And so today, God, because you've given me the breath of life, I'm renewing my walk with you today. I'm anteing up afresh today. You heard me say earlier, my friends, that this pleasing walk of faith is lived in the present tense. And I want to take a moment to talk to somebody who you've had a walk of faith past tense. There's been a time in your life, a season, a period in your journey with Jesus when you were walking by faith. Oh, you and God had it going on. Y'all were, were rolling. Y'all had it going on. You were walking with God back then. But the honest truth today, if God pulled up beside you, put his arm around you and whispered lovingly into your ear and said to you today, my child, you're not walking with me the way you used to. You'd have to say, you're right, God. You're right, God. Because the pleasing walk of faith has to be renewed every single day. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith, present tense, every day. We walk, not we walked, past tense, I used to, but we walk, present tense, by faith. It's not a promise of tomorrow. Some of y'all sitting there saying, preacher, that sounds pretty good, and I tell you what, next week I'll start walking with God. No, 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 because tomorrow's not promised. While you got the breath in your body today, you have to make your decision today that I'm going to start walking with God Today, I'm going to walk with him, and it's always in the present tense. It's never a past tense, and it's never a prospective promise. It's always in the present tense. For Enoch, his walk in the present tense went on for 300 years. And because his walk with God became so intimate, because his walk with God was so rich, so sweet, so special, that there came a time when God just decided, I need Enoch with me in my presence and not just in fellowship with me on the earth. So he gave Enoch the opportunity to be the icon, to be the exemplar, to be the first one to experience translation where there is no death. The Bible says folks started looking for Enoch. Where Enoch? Hey, y'all see Enoch? Anybody? Hey, where Enoch, man? Where Enoch? Y'all say, where's Enoch? 
And the Bible says they couldn't find him. Why couldn't they find him? Because God had taken him. Enoch's walk with God was so sweet that God said, Enoch, I'm going to bring you into my presence. And he translated him so that he did not see death. God would love for you. He would love for me to have such a walk of faith with him that we are commended, as Hebrews 11 says, that before Enoch was translated, everybody had given him testimony. He had been commended. He had been patted on the back. He had received the witness from others that he was pleasing to God. I wonder if there's anybody who's watching online who would like to be pleasing to God. Anybody who's here in person that, sure enough, you really would like to be pleasing to God. You would like for God to smile when your name comes before him. You would love for God to smile. The only way it's going to happen is because you choose to live by faith every single day. It's a walk by faith, not a walk by sight. It's a walk by faith. Walking by faith means that I may not see what's going to happen down the road, but I'm going to take some steps in that direction because I'm confident that if I move in this direction, I'm going to see God show up eventually. So I'm just going to walk on by faith. <laughs> I'm going to walk on by faith when it doesn't make sense to those who are around me. I'm going to go ahead and walk on because I believe God and I'm following him. So I know that in due season, God will honor my walk of faith. So I'm just going to walk on. And if I got to walk by myself, I'm going to walk on by faith because I'm not worried about what other folk think. This is my walk with God. If my spouse won't walk, I got to walk. If my children don't walk, I've got to walk because this is about me and God. I've got to walk with him by faith. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.